This is your itinerary for travel and photography with your host, Rob Knight. This week on Your Itinerary, it's part one of my interview with wildlife and nature photographer Juan Pons. We talk about RV travel and his recent five-week road trip in his Airstream trailer. This episode of Your Itinerary is brought to you by Digital Photo Adventures. Discover your next adventure at digitalphotoadventures.com. My guest today on Your Itinerary is my buddy Juan Pons. And to say that Juan is a renowned nature and wildlife photographer is really an understatement. Um, he leads workshops, he teaches classes, he gives photography presentations all over the world. And uh, Juan actually taught me everything I know about photographing birds as well. Uh, you probably heard Juan as the co-host of the Digital Photo Experience podcast with our mutual friend Rick Salmon. And uh, chances are you've heard him as a guest host on This Week in Photo. And uh, he's a seasoned traveler and definitely an expert on the subject of travel and photography. But I invited Juan to come on today to talk about a particular type of travel. Um, hey, Juan, thanks for being on my show, man. Hey, thanks, Rob. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, I'm glad to see you hosting this new show and uh, wish you all the best of luck. Thanks a lot. Um, and I know you've been exploring sort of an alternative mode of transportation for the last couple of years. Uh, why don't you uh, tell the listeners what I'm talking about? That sounds like I'm, I came up with some hybrid vehicle or something like that. Now, <laughs> what Rob is talking about, actually, is something that Rob and I shared um, uh, on, on multiple occasions is I, um, I have an Airstream, I have a camper, and I love going out um, with my camper, my Airstream, and taking trips around the, around the country. Um, and not just for photography, not just for camping, but including photography in that. Um, you know, just this past year, I actually ran my first workshop in which it was, was held in a campground with some other uh, campers um, down in Pennsylvania, and that was, that was a lot of fun. Um, and this past summer, I went on this really long trip um, that I think we're going to be talking about a little bit. Um, but I really, truly enjoy being on the road. Um, I love going on the on the camper. I think it's a lot more comfortable than flying and staying in in foreign hotels. Yeah, my my dad actually got me into RVing, and he always says uh, the best thing about being in the RV is that you get to sleep in your own bed every night. Your own bed and your own bathroom. You know, those two things are precious. For sure. Well, tell me about this workshop uh, that you did in Pennsylvania. Well, <clears throat> there's this location in Pennsylvania that I that I discovered a couple years ago, and I fell in love with it immediately. And it, um, it's called Ricketts Glen um, uh, State Park. And it's a tiny little park, uh, state, in, uh, state park in, in Pennsylvania, which has this trail in which in a span, I think it's seven miles, there's something like 28 named waterfalls wow. with countless others, you know, little waterfalls, little water features and whatnot. Um, you know, and it, I, I mean, I absolutely love this place. I fell in love with it. It's, it's it, you know, beautiful, beautiful waterfalls. Um, you know, different than a lot of the waterfalls that I know you've seen in the North Carolina um, with me and, and whatnot, um, in that the ones in North Carolina are kind of big and impressive. These are smaller, more delicate, and, and much more um, interesting, if you will, for, in, in a lot of ways. They have a lot more detail. Um, but the challenge with this workshop as I was approaching it is that, it, it's that the park is in the middle of nowhere, and literally the middle of nowhere. Um, the closest... Um, um, I want to say the closest uh, mainstream hotel is about uh, 40 miles away. Wow. Um, so, you know, getting up in the morning and having to drive almost an hour to get to the park, to be there in the morning for a morning shoot, and then staying there late and then having to drive back kind of makes it really difficult. Yes, there are a lot of little, there are a number of B&Bs in, in small hotels nearby, but 
you know, there was no one place where I could have all of the workshop participants like I normally do in my workshop. So I thought, you know, let me try this and see if people will come and um, and stay in the campground. You know, as kind of like the first, you know, camping slash you know photography workshop. And you know, and it was amazing. The camp, the the, the workshop sold out in less than a day. Um, and you know, not everybody that came stayed in the campground, but about half of the people stayed in the campground. Some people came in with. Uh, their own campers. I had one other airstream in addition to mine in the in the group, um, and some people stayed in tents, and some people stayed in in a couple little hotels nearby that I was able to place them in. So, um, it, you know, it, it presented some challenges um, because typically when I'm in a hotel, I'm able to, as part of the, the the booking of the group, I'm able to request a meeting room for us to meet. So <clears throat> we had we had to meet in one of the gazebos. Which was actually kind of nice because we were outside. Except, you know, in this particular location where this Zebo was, the mosquitoes were a little fierce. <laughs> so, <laughs> so that presented a little bit of a challenge. Um, but otherwise, I think it worked really well, and I'm, you know, I'm really looking forward to doing. It. I'm going definitely going to do it again next year. Great, and and I know from setting up workshops myself, that's often the biggest challenge is finding a place for everybody to sleep. So right. if everybody's bringing their own hotel room, basically, that um, that would definitely be really convenient as an organizer and uh, and that really opens up a lot of places that like you mentioned aren't really anywhere near a hotel right and you know the, the best thing is that you know in this particular case the campground that we stayed at um, right on the state park is beautiful I mean I, my campground was right on the water on this beautiful lake so you know it was kinda you know after we were done shooting a few of us would get together we built a fire or grills the water and you know had you know, had some adult beverages and uh, just hang out for a little while. So it was, it was, it was really neat. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah, I would definitely be. Uh, I know you and I have talked about that before. I'd definitely be into uh, getting on that train next year with my RV. Um, so I wanted to ask you about your RV in particular. What made you decide on an Airstream in the first place? Uh, my wife and I have uh, a, what's called a motor coach, and it's it's got a you know Ford V10 motor, and and we drive it around. Um, why did you go with the trailer, and, and why an Airstream in particular? Well, for me, um, the trailer for me works a little better. And uh, you've seen, well, you saw the older Airstream that I have. I have a newer Airstream now that's a little um, nicer and better, bigger than, than the one that you saw before. Um, I love Airstreams just because of the, you know, part of it is the look, the allure of the Airstream, you know, the classic lines of the Airstream. And, yes, they still make Airstreams. That's like the number one question that I get. Is that, do they still make those? Is that old or whatnot? No, mine is mine is pretty new. Um, and I like the, the Airstream again. You know, Airstream is the longest operating uh, uh, travel uh, or um, uh Travel trailer company or, or RV company in in the in the world really they've been in operation longer than anybody else at this point, um, and continuous operation. So these guys have an incredible amount of knowledge. Um, and when you look at an airstream and you look at the quality of the airstream itself, how it's put together, how everything works so well together, how everything has been thoroughly thought out, I thought that for me, you know, I'm kind of particular in that way. I like things to work right. Um, the Airstream was, you know, ab above and beyond any other travel trailer that I have that I have seen. Um, plus, you've got the allure of the Airstream, and you know, everybody comes and asks you questions about it. Which I actually, I don't mind it, but sometimes it gets a little tiresome you know, sure. when you're just trying to relax and you got someone stopping by and asking you 50 questions. Um, and but for me, the travel trailer, I also wanted a travel trailer. I didn't want uh, a motor coach, an RV like you have, for a number of reasons. You know, I wanted to be able to go to a location. 
unhook my RV, and then have my vehicle. You know, a lot of people like you, I know you tow your vehicle behind you, and I didn't want to do, I didn't want to have to deal with having to tow another vehicle behind me so that I have another vehicle when I'm there. Um, I felt that uh, just driving my vehicle, dropping off the camper, you know, was a, would be a little more convenient. Then I have my own vehicle that, uh, you know, it's a 4x4 four four vehicle that I can take off and go wherever I need to go, and a vehicle that I'm very familiar with. Plus, you know, um, having my own vehicle separate from the travel trailer as opposed to a motor coach is, I'm only dealing with one engine. You know, I'm dealing with my car. You know, I don't have to maintain another, you know, expensive engine um, that uh, that requires maintenance and all that stuff. I'm not dealing with two engines. Plus, it's a lot cheaper, obviously, because I don't have an engine in mind. You know, when you add an engine to a RV type of situation, you know, you're gonna add, I don't know, thirty, forty thousand dollars to, you know, to an equivalent travel trailer to that. Right. Yeah, and I think if I had to do it over again, I would uh, I would get a travel trailer uh, instead of the the Class A that we have. Now, in my case, though, I would have spent the same amount of money because I don't have a vehicle burly enough to right. pull a travel trailer. Right. So right. my expense would have been the same, but like you right. said, then I would have a daily driver vehicle and then not have a motor on my uh, RV to worry about because that is, right. you know, it's an issue. Uh, my dad has a farm up in Tacoa, Georgia, and uh, you know we can park the RV there, and it's almost like a cabin. But it's a cabin with a motor that I have to service and take care right, of. Right, so. right. No, it, uh, absolutely. I mean, it, and that's not to put down the RVs because I think that they are. I mean, they're great and they're beautiful. And you know, and you and I talked about that a little bit. The advantages of it. One of the great things about the RV is that you know, if it's pouring out and there's you know, and the sky is opening up and you get to a location. All you do is you park, and you're already inside your camper. <laughs> right. In my case, you know, I have to park. I have to set up the camper. I'm getting wet outside, all that kind of stuff. So it's a little less convenient with the RV, with the camper, with the travel trailer versus the RV. The RV, you just pull up, and there you are. Sure. Um, but but you know, like you said, I'm I'm I am uh, uh, I, I'm able to leave my camper in certain places for an extended period of time and not have to worry about maintaining an engine and all that kind of stuff, which which is an advantage for sure. Right. And being, I'm based in Atlanta and you're based on the East Coast too. My wife and I have talked about maybe storing our RV uh, somewhere out west, like getting right. a storage space in Las Vegas and, and parking it there. But then again, we have the motor and we have to worry about oil changes and things like that. So it kind of puts a damper on that. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because this must be something a lot of us dream of because I thought of the same thing of driving out to the West Coast, you know, or you know, not West Coast, but Montana, Yellowstone, uh, Wyoming, somewhere on there. And leaving my camper there, you know. But then the issue is, okay, if I fly over, and I want to take it, I need a vehicle to pull it with. Or okay, well, do I then leave my car there together with it? Oh, well, that's not a good idea. So, so I mean, I think the challenges are, you know, there are challenges either way. Um, right. It's just about what what works best for you. Yeah, we're working on a deal with uh, a friend of ours, a, a couple that travels quite a bit, uh, so that we take a month long trip next summer. And they meet us somewhere out west. They fly out and meet us, and they take over the RV, and then they borrow it. They're going to rent it from us for a few weeks and travel around, and then they'll drive it home. Oh, so that's we'll, cool. We'll have the few days driving out, and then we'll fly home, and then they'll have the few they fly out and then drive back with it. So um, that knocks a week off of your trip anyway. You know, just driving back to the east oh, yeah. coast from out west. Yeah. Oh yeah, no, that that's a that's a good idea as long as you trust the person who's driving the vehicle. Because sure. a lot of us with our trailers and RVs, we're kind of really particular, and sort of you know we got to make sure the person who's taking it is going to treat it right and is not going to cause any any issues. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. 
Well, let's get to this epic trip that you took this summer, man. I want to hear all about that. Um, I know you went, uh, what, were you gone for six weeks, five weeks? I was gone for five weeks. Um, this was a trip. I live in Maine um, right now, so uh, up in the East Coast, kind of in the upper, you know, northernmost part of the East Coast. Um, I'm about an hour away from Canada, believe it or not. They're very cold up here in the winters. Uh, and this year, you know, but I run workshops at Yellowstone. I've been running workshops at Yellowstone, uh, especially in the winter, for almost 10 years now. And my son, I have a son who is 10 years old, and he has grown up hearing about me taking off to go to Yellowstone and how cool Yellowstone is. And he's always wanted to go. And I've always wanted to take him, but um, I wanted to do it right. I want him to be there for a long time, to really get to know the place, enjoy the place. And I wanted him to be older enough, old enough to be able to really remember it, you know, to really absorb it. Um, so this year, you know, what, what I wanted to do this summer is take out an extended trip out there. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to just drive out um, to Yellowstone. We'll, you know, we'll spend time and then I'll drive back. You know, it's a long drive, but, but it, you know, but it's doable. So what we ended up doing is we did four, five weeks. I went out, I drove out from Maine. Um, I took about a week to get out to Montana. Not because it took me a week to get there, but because I made a bunch of stops along the way. You know, I, I stopped at uh, uh, Watkins Glen, which is an amazing state park in upstate New York. Uh, made a few other stops along the way. Then I stopped at uh, Badlands National Park and spent two or three days at Badlands shooting. Um, and then went to Custer State Park in South Dakota um, and a few other places around there. Then I made my way to Montana um, where I had six other family members fly in into Montana. Um, I had my sister and her and my nephew, her son. I had uh, my girlfriend with my son and her two kids as well. You know, not not all of us stayed in my <laughs> in my airstream because we wouldn't have all fit in there. My sister also rented an RV from uh, Cruise America out in Montana. And then Gotcha. That was my that was my first question. <laughs> yeah, so that, that would have been way too many people. Um, and um, and then we spent two weeks in Yellowstone at proper itself um, in Yellowstone, and then a little bit in Grand Tetons. We spent a few days in Grand Tetons. Then from there we went up to uh, Glacier National Park, um, and then um, they left, and they all left. And then my son and I, my son stayed with me, and he and I took two weeks to drive back to back home to Maine. Um, and we stopped again, you know, we stopped at Mount Rushmore, we stopped at Wind Caves National Park, we stopped at Jewel Cave uh, National Monument, um, Wall Drug in South Dakota, we, you know, we went up to Canada, spent a little bit of time, we went to a couple of provincial parks in Canada and then made our way through uh, New York and New Hampshire, Vermont, New Hampshire and back into Maine. And that, you know, about five weeks in total. Um, you know, one week by myself, and then, you know, the other four weeks, I had other people around me. And because I've been to Yellowstone so many times, I was kind of like a, a, a tour guide to my family. Um, sure. So, you know, my first part of the trip, because I was by myself, I, I spent a lot of time doing photography. But the second part, you know, the, the focus was family. So, you know, I did do a lot of photography, but not as much as I normally would have done. Gotcha. Is your son into photography at all? You know, it, it's funny. He, when he was younger, he was. He was really thrilled and, and whatnot uh, when we lived in North Carolina. But he, you know, he's 10 years old now. He's all into Minecraft. <laughs> <laughs> Just like all 10 years old are. So, I mean, he, he, he's kind of excited. He loves that my photography. He loves seeing my pictures. He loves what I do. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, he's, he's very proud of it. He tells everybody, you know, even when they don't ask, um, <laughs> what do I do in the... 
but no, he's not so much into it at this point. I, I'm hoping, I, I hold hope that at some point he will be. Yeah, and I'm sure a trip like that can't help but make him a little bit more excited about it. Um, yeah, yeah, he, he he thoroughly enjoyed it, you know, and and I have discovered that uh, you know last year, last summer, uh, we went on a long trip, the first sort of really long trip we've ever been to, um, and we spent uh, three weeks in Europe, and that was the first trip that long trip that he had done, um, and I was a little concerned that uh, how he was going to do for a long trip like that, and he did incredibly well last year, and that sort of really made me think, well, we can do this this long road trip this coming year. I was still a little worried about it because, you know, spending that much time in a car, you know, for a 10-year-old, but, uh, you know, I bought a bunch of book, books on tape, and uh, that made the trip a lot more pleasant, and uh, he did really, really well. I'm surprised. Not surprised. I'm, 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 I'm glad that he's such a good traveler. Yeah, that's great. Um, I, I know from traveling just with my son, he's a lot younger, but uh, that is often the biggest challenge is is how do you how do you keep them occupied and keep them interested in and where you're going right and and not asking you are we there yet fifty times sure, especially in five <laughs> weeks that's that's a lot of times to ask yes. if we're there yet. <laughs> absolutely <laughs> well, with your experience in all these places, did you make most of the decisions about where you're going or did you sort of poll everybody about where they'd like to go? How did you decide on on uh where you were going to visit this trip? Well, you know, it, it was interesting because there there were three distinct components to the trip, right? There was the the week that I was driving out by myself, um, but that was really sort of you know look photography focused, if you will. Then there was a time that I was with my family in a place that I know intimately well because I've been there so many times, um, and then there was the third part of it, which was with my son, you know, what you know on the way back, uh, in, in back home. Um, so for the first part, yes, I was very, you know, I, I like to have, you know, I used to be very, or I used to be much more anal than I am today about where I'm going and a, a tight schedule and uh, knowing exactly what I'm going to do. You know, that I've, I guess I've mellowed out a little bit in that respect that I did have a, some specific locations I wanted to go to and some specific images I thought of making, but I'm trying to, you know, leave things a little bit more to chance nowadays. Um, and so I picked the locations that I wanted to go on my way out, kind of on the route, without deviating too much from where I needed to be, uh, when and where I needed to be in, uh, uh, in Montana. Um, but then for the second part of that, you know, like as I said, this was all about the family. So we spent most of the time in places where, you know, they would be the same places where I would go to photograph in a lot of cases. Um, but, you know, I wasn't waking everybody up at, you know, 5 in the morning <laughs> to be out there for sunrise every day. Um, uh, so so that was a, a little bit different. I, you know, in that area I know very well, so I knew exactly where to take them. You know, but I did I did encounter some surprises in that in that trip in that, you know, there's this one particular uh, little lake that I like to go to called Trout Lake in, uh, in Yellowstone. And it's called Trout Lake because it's full of, of cutthroat trout. And in the spring... They go from the pond, from the lake, and they go up this little stream to spawn, right? Just like you, know, just like you've seen them. And sure. oh my God, we hit it just perfectly. The stream was alive, just covered in trout. And I made a actually, I have a, a little blog for the trip mm -hmm. um, that you can find on my website. Uh, it's called airstream.juanpons.org. And in there, I put a video up of that. I, I took a GoPro camera, put it under the water with all the cutthroat trout swimming. Um, and it was just really spectacular. So uh, part of the photography that I did for that trip was kind of more serendipitous in that, you know, what is that I would find? Yes, I would go to places, and I always had my camera with me, 
but this was more about the the uh, you know the experience with the family, showing them a place that they've heard me talk about forever that none of them had ever been to before. Um, you know, and then we made some great images along the way because it's hard not to great, make great images in Yellowstone. We, I mean, in one day we saw I think eleven bears, just to wow. give you an idea. Wow. At one point we got within, you know, uh, well we didn't get it got. We got a grizzly bear that came within twenty five yards of us, and wow. I got some incredible shots of, of this grizzly bear. Um, so we made, you know, was able to make some incredible images, even if I was with the family, because that's the kind of place Yellowstone is. Sure. And then for the last two weeks, um, you know, that was, again, just the time between me and my son. We kind of had, we knew we needed to be home at a certain date. How we got there really didn't matter. So, you know, I, I, I wanted to take him to a couple of different places. We spent quite a bit of time in South Dakota because South Dakota is great. There's a lot of really cool places in a, in a short distance from each other. Mm -hmm. um, like I said, we went to, you know, I took him to Mount Rushmore, went to Custer State Park, um, I took him to two caves that are part of the national park system that are just beautiful, incredible caves, huge, huge caves. And he's a kind of a rock hound, so we went to some places to look for some rocks, uh, you know, some minerals and whatnot. So, and then on the way, we stopped in a bunch of other places that were kind of of interest. He wanted to go swimming. He, you know, he's a ten-year-old, so he has his own interest. He wanted to go find cool lakes and go swimming, that kind of stuff. Nice. Yeah, it's funny because I've had a lot of people when I mention South Dakota, they kind of scoff at it and they oh there's nothing yeah. to do in South Dakota but man the Black Hills is one of my favorite areas right. Right. we've actually done a couple of RV trips through there and uh, we camped right outside of Custer State Park and um, I was there spring last year and uh, while we were in Rapid City South Dakota it snowed probably four feet while we were there it was unbelievable wow what but time of year was that it was in gosh I want to say March or April it was, oh, man. It was a really late snow but um, you know they're used to that, so it didn't even right. it barely even stop traffic. They just you get out and you knock the two feet of snow off your car at night, <laughs> fell the <laughs> night before, and just hit the road. So, huh? That's, yeah, I mean, I, people were I think people may be confusing South Dakota with North Dakota, right? Because North Dakota really there isn't you know it's I mean I don't want to say there I don't want to say there's nothing there, but it's not like South Dakota. There's tons of stuff in South Dakota for sure. For sure, yeah. Well, um, so. Does your Airstream have any uh, any sort of modifications that are specific for photography? Like Ansel Adams had the the rooftop deck on his car. Or, um, <laughs> I've seen some uh, some heavily modified RVs that are specifically for photography with sort of hidden banks of hard drives or anything like that. No, not. I mean, my modifications are light compared to that. Most of my modifications are more to make it more livable, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, I guess the most the most important modification that I've done to my RV. Uh, that supports my photography is uh, putting in a system that allows me to have better internet connectivity when I'm on the road. Because uh, oftentimes, you know, I mean, you know, when you go into these places, they're kind of remote places. Um, and specifically the RV, because the RV is made out of aluminum, it serves as a Faraday cage. So if you try to use a cell phone or anything inside, you're going to have a lot, your, your signal is going to be uh, se severely compromised because of that uh, metal shell that you're in. Um, so what I have is I have an external antenna that is attached to my uh, TV antenna, which is kind of funny because I never used the TV antenna. I was thinking of taking it out completely, but now I use it for for uh, for internet access instead. Nice. And the reason that for people that don't know that the TV antenna is one that you crank on the inside, so it actually raises about two feet higher than the than the uh, camper itself. Um, and that that cable that comes off the antenna is connected to a booster. 
so that you know when I'm in the camper I can take my phone slide it into this booster and in places where I'll have like you know barely any signal even outside the camper maybe one bar all of a sudden I'll have three bars in LTE you know oh. for data um, I'll and then I have to look into that I haven't heard of that yeah it's you know there are a lot of different options and the one I used the one I did was kind of one of the simplest ones and least expensive ones um, you know, and then with the, I used an iPhone. I put my iPhone in, and then set the iPhone to you know personal hotspot. So all of a sudden, now I have all this internet access inside the um, inside the camper. But one word of caution, especially if you have kids, make sure <laughs> that you don't let them use that internet bandwidth unabated, because they'll eat up your your monthly allowance in half an hour. <laughs> right. So, um, and besides that, you know, I have different places where I put. Um, uh, that I know where I put my equipment on to make sure that it's safe while we're traveling because I typically like to leave the equipment in the camper as opposed to in the car. Um, the one thing I haven't figured out yet, and I gotta figure out, is a place to uh, keep safe and out of the way my Phantom, you know, drone. Um, sure. Because you know that's sort of laying around. I have to keep moving it from the bed to the table to the table to the kitchen and back and forth because I haven't found a place to put that. So that's sort of my next thing is where to hang this thing so it's not in the way anymore. Right, and that might be the solution. You just have a little hook that you hang it on the ceiling. Yeah, it, it could very well be. Um, but you know, everything else, you know, from a photography perspective, there's not much else except, you know, like I mentioned, the um, uh, internet connectivity, and then also making sure that I'm able to charge my my equipment. So making sure you have a good inverter, so that you can actually plug in your your battery chargers into the bat the the batteries on the uh, on the camper cell because the campers typically run on 12 volts, you know, right. using using batteries. So you need an inverter to convert that 12 volts into 120, 120 volts to be able to plug in your battery charge. You've been listening to Your Itinerary with Rob Knight. Head over to thisweekinphoto.com to check out the other TWIP shows and get on our mailing list. Become a TWIP member to get exclusive benefits and member pricing on TWIP products and workshops. Start planning your next adventure, and we'll see you next week on Your Itinerary for travel and photography.